Southlands, good morning. Good morning, good morning. My name is Matt Henderson. I'm one of the pastors here. It is such a privilege to be here with you in the same room worshiping, and I'm really excited for our time together as we hop into the Word. And those that are joining us online, really glad to be with you guys as well. Um, we've been going through this series on the incomparable Jesus, like Shannon just talked about, where we've been looking through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been talking about these different aspects of Jesus as we see these stories. And we're looking for these characteristics where we go, man, he is... He's like nobody else. There's nobody like Jesus. There's no God like him, and we're not like him. Um, and as, we, as we've journeyed through that, for me, it has been so refreshing, and I think for us as a church, it's been so refreshing. In the midst of a season with so much social unrest, so much uh, political divide, so much chaos, for us to reach out and to lay hold and anchor our souls in the only certain thing, which is Jesus. And so I've so enjoyed this series. I hope you have. Um, I want to pray for us this morning. Father, thank you that as we come to your word, you are the only one that has the words of life. You are the only one, Lord, who has the words of life. And we just thank you, God, that you desire to speak to us today. We just pray that you would open our hearts, Lord. Help us to be, uh, Lord, soft to receive what you would say to your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you guys ever woken up in the morning and you're like, oh, I just do not want to get ready? right? Like your alarm clock goes off, you're exhausted, and you're like 40 minutes of rushing around so that you can get out of the house to get to school or to get to work. Um, for me, it's pretty exhausting. Um, I, there's times where you're just like, oh, I got to brush my teeth. I got to do all these different things, right? Why do we get ready? What's the whole point and purpose of it? It kind of matters, right? It matters for us to be presentable. You guys all look presentable here today. Thank you for that. But we do have to keep the right perspective, right? Sometimes we go to our closet to pull things out and we're like, man, if I wear this watch, if I wear this suit, I'm gonna ink this deal, right? Sometimes we feel like, man, I'm going on this first date. If I, if I go out and buy this expensive leather jacket, this is gonna like set us up for success, right? And it's just not true, right? For me, uh, when I was in elementary, when I was in, I, this probably went up to high school too, I would be so excited before the first day of school that I would like lay out my clothes, my fresh outfit, right? I'd iron everything. I'd clean my nails because for some reason I thought people were gonna be checking out my hands. I had my chapstick in my mirror. I was pretty vain now that I think about it. <laughs> but the reality is I felt that if I went, if what I brought on that first day was actually gonna shape how people received me for the rest of the year. And actually you get to school and, it, and it's, it's about school. It's about friends, it's about classes. It has nothing to do with those things. So it's very important for us to keep outer preparation like in the proper perspective. And so we're going to talk this morning about a group of guys, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of a day, who everything that they did was for the outside. They wanted to prepare themselves to look holy and righteous before God, and they wanted other people to receive them that way. So we're going to be reading out of the book of Luke, chapter 11, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles. Verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash his hands before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you, you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, and this word woe here is like him calling for righteous judgment. God, come and deal with this. Don't allow it to continue. He says, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, 
and you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk all over them without even knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people down with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Skip with me down to verse 52, and this is where Jesus summarizes his rebuke towards him. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So what's going on here in this story? We see that Jesus is teaching like he always does, right? He's teaching, and a Pharisee comes to him. And Shannon did a great job of explaining these Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day. They would have, we would have seen them. They would have looked like so holy, right? They're probably wearing all white, um, probably walk around like this, right? But they had, a, they had a desire to want to look right for the Lord and draw nearer to God because of what was going on over here. And so he invites Jesus. He says, hey, you want to get a bite to eat? And Jesus said, yeah, I'll do that. So he invites him into his house. So I can just imagine they go there, and his house is probably spotless because everything has to be in order, right? And I could just see him calling over to the servant, hey, could you bring water so we can wash before we eat? And he looks over, and before the servant can bring the water, Jesus plops down on a cushion, puts a dinner roll in his mouth, and grabs a drumstick. <laughs> and he's going like, he's looking at him like, what's going on, right? And I think part of us can kind of go, yeah, Jesus is like, why don't you wash your hands, Right? But these are different times. And so there, was, there wasn't running water and faucets everywhere. Sometimes you'd wash before and sometimes you didn't. But what this Pharisee was so upset about is the washing he was talking about was a ceremonial washing that made us right before the Lord. And this was something that was typically done before you'd go into a temple. And it wasn't a requirement to do it just to eat. But actually, the Pharisees made it a requirement for people. So he's looking at Jesus, and the text doesn't tell us whether or not he says anything. So we have to assume he doesn't. I don't know if it's a, the raised eyebrows and that crazy, the crazy eyes that he's given him, but Jesus knows his heart, just like he knows our hearts. So right away, Jesus just, he, he, he goes straight towards it, and he just goes, man, he goes, you guys are worried about cleaning the outside of this cup and this bowl, but actually inside of you, you are you're, you're dirty, you're filthy. There's greed and there is wickedness. So he actually skips past this whole like exterior and he just talks about like, man, you look good on the outside, but this is who you are. So we see Jesus just go on and be, he begins to rebuke the Pharisee for the different, uh, the different behaviors that he sees. And he calls him a fool. And that actually would have been something that would have been extremely offensive to him because a fool was somebody who, who didn't know the things of God. And after all this Pharisee, he was the things of God. He was a representation of it to everybody else. At least that's what they thought, right? And he goes on and rebukes him, and then his buddy, uh, his buddy, the scribe, the lawyer of the day, comes to him, or, or actually tries to interject to try to help his buddy out, and goes, Jesus can't offend all of us. And he goes, you're offending me too, Jesus. And Jesus goes, okay, come on. I have something to say. One thing to note about this, these uh, lawyers, these scribes, these were the guys who were the experts in the law. They knew everything, and so they interpreted the law, and they actually would transcribe the law. And so part of what they begin to do is go, oh yeah, we think God means this. We see that he means that. And actually, this is what we think, how we can walk that out. And so they begin to add law after law after law and this oral law, extra laws that people would have to follow. And so Jesus says, man, you load people down with burdens and you don't do anything to help. 
And we look at that situation, that's a bit of a prophetic declaration because Jesus came to do the very opposite thing, to remove burdens from people, to remove uh, the consequences of sin and death. And not only would he lift a finger, but he would lay down his whole life so that they would live. So he rebukes, uh, he rebukes them for that. What Luke is trying to show us in this story, what he wants us to understand as we look at this story of Jesus, is that Jesus hates false religion. He hates the fruit of it, which is hypocrisy and legalism, but he loves true devotion. He loves true devotion. So we're going to see throughout the text, we're going to dive in a little bit and see kind of why and how he confronts this, and then we're going to talk about how Jesus actually helps us to live in true devotion to him. So how do we know Jesus hates false religion? What is false religion? False religion is actually just worshiping something else that's not God, right? Um, and for the Pharisees and for the scribes, they were actually worshiping performance. They were pursuing performance and how they would look on the outside. They were pursuing their personal glory, not God's glory, because they actually wanted people to receive them and go, oh man, these guys are holy. So Jesus, we know he hates false religion because when he sees it, when he's confronted with it, he condemns it right away. He could have looked past this awkward moment of sitting down and going, oh, did I eat too early? He could have like moved right past that. But he says, no, even though this guy didn't say anything, he's like, no, I know his heart and I'm gonna go straight at that issue. Guys, because Jesus loves us, when he sees something that is moving us away from him, he will confront it in our lives. And so he does the same with this Pharisee. So he condemns him for his religious hypocrisy in verse 38 when he says, man, you guys focus on the inside or the outside of this cup. You focus on the outside of this dish, but inside you're evil. Your performance and your works will not get you there. He wants this Pharisee to understand, I'm after your heart. And like Miss Shannon said, the Pharisees, they, 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 there probably was a, a real serious desire to want to do the things of God. But they thought that what they would do would walk them closer towards God. And actually what Jesus is saying is, I want to walk closer to you, and I need the inside clean, and I'm going to help you do that. So these things matter. He wanted them to understand that. We see him rebuke the hypocrisy in verse 42, when he says, man, you guys are so faithful with your, with your tithing. You, you t and this was actually what they were required to do. But he says, man, you will go to the back part of your garden and grab that herb, that little small, little and cut a sprig off of it, a tenth right, so that you could turn it in, and people will go, whoa, he's tithing everything, right, but he moves on, and he says, man, but you neglect these big things, you neglect the love of God, and you, you neglect justice, which is near and dear to my heart, I think one thing that's very important for us to understand is he actually doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, you know what, don't worry about tithe, you're focusing on the wrong thing, focus on this, he actually says, no, you should have done this also, but not neglected this, so I think that's just a word for us, like as a people of God that actually, God does care about our tithes. He does care about it because it's obedience to him. It's what he's asked of us. And actually, when we tithe, when we give to God, it's us giving faith. And it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. He wants you to trust him. So, but he rebukes him because he neglected the love of God and justice. Verse 44 he goes on to say, he goes on to rebuke his hypocrisy by just summing it up and saying, man, you are like an unmarked grave. People walk all over it and they don't know. And he basically goes, you, you reek of, of the stench of death. 
And this would have been extremely offensive. If he hadn't gotten them with Fool and all the other ones, this would have been something that he, he would have had to really assess and go like, man, this actually flies in the face of what I think about myself. And he would have either needed to respond to Jesus or get really offended. But he says, man, like actually everything that you stand for, which is purity and holiness before God, it's all external and it's not true. Inside you're, you're, you're wicked and evil. You're like an unmarked grave covered by a bed of roses. So he just wants this guy to know that what you're doing is not cutting it. And then he turns to the scribe, right? So after he's done just kind of pointing out this hypocrisy that he sees, he turns to the scribe and he goes, man, like, let's talk about legalism. And he goes, you have, you've made all these rules for people that you're, you're forcing them under and they can't do it. They're going to, they're going to die. They're going to be crushed under the weight of this. And he has compassion about that. And he says, don't, don't do that. You don't even lift a finger to help them. And so he just confronts that right away. See, for us, we can all kind of spot hypocrisy. Legalism is a little bit more subtle, right? Most of us would say, we condemn hypocrisy. You'll see it and you'll go, oh man. And we'll all jump at somebody who we, who we think is a hypocrite for sure, right? But legalism is a little bit more subtle, right? It's one of those things that, that, that kind of tries to hide in our hearts. Um, and if we're honest with ourselves, and this is like the question I want to ask is, how are we doing with those things? How are you doing with hypocrisy and with legalism? Have you ever said to your kids, do, do what, I, uh, what I say, not what I do? That's like a tagline of hypocrisy, right? And if we don't say it, do we live that way? Or we expect certain things, but we don't do it? Have you ever had a personal conviction of something that you just go, man, from experience or whatever, I don't believe this is, I don't agree with this and I won't do it, but you make that a rule for somebody else. Tattoos? Or maybe you don't like the culture of rap music, so if you listen to rap music, that's a problem. If we all think, if any of us thinks, man, like we're safe, we are free from that, how are you doing with this uh, presidential election, this race? How do you feel about your constituents on the other side of the aisle? So look, for us, we are going to make these mistakes. We are not flawless. But when we do, we repent. We have to quickly access the throne of grace and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come and change this inside of me. And he is faithful to do it just like that. If for us, we find this is a consistent pattern of like, I live my life as a hypocrite, or I can't stop like always expecting and judging the most of everybody else, we really have to do an internal audit and bring that before the Lord because we're actually walking further away from him, not towards him. And he wants to, he wants to address that. So for me, I am not, by the grace of God, hypocrisy is not always the biggest thing that I'm fighting, but I do have to be careful with legalism. I love the Lord, and sometimes I'll be worshiping, like, just full-blown, like, all into it. And I may look, and maybe one of my kids isn't feeling it that day. And, and, uh, and then, you know, maybe they're on the phone, and, I'm, I, like, inside of me, I'm like, no! I want you to worship. I want you to love God. Understand what he did for you. And he's, look, he's, he's moving. He's doing that. He's growing in my kids. I love my girls. They're beautiful. But there is a part of me that part of it goes, man, how does that look for a pastor's kid? And I just kind of go, whoa, God, like, no, actually deal with that, because that's not, that's not your heart towards them. Um, if hypocrisy and legalism are marks of our life, we want to bring that to the Lord. God, Jesus hates false religion because it draws us away from him. But on the other side, he loves true devotion because it draws us near to him. 
And so what does it mean to be truly devoted? What does it mean to, to follow Jesus? We have to look in, in Mark 12 where the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said like, hey, uh, what's the best law? What's the number one law if you had to pick one of them? And they're just trying to trip him up. They know he can't a answer this in a way that's gonna be like, great. At least they thought he couldn't. And he says, okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. So he says, actually, all of who you are, love God with it and be, do that. Give everything to him. And he says, and I'll do you one better. Here's the second one. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. Love everybody. Put everybody up before yourself in the way that you pursue them like you pursue your own needs. That's what true devotion is. And I know that sounds like a tall order. I don't know if anybody in here goes, I got that. It's unlocked. Done. No, none of us, right? We're all like, we're all at work in progress towards that. But if we look at what some tangible ways true devotion looks like, just to give us some handles on, man, how can I get, begin to like walk this out like today? What would we say like would be true devotion to the Lord? I would say daily interaction, relationship with him in, in prayer and in his word. Not that if we miss a day, he's not happy with us, but actually any relationship to nurture it, you have to spend time with somebody, right? If you have a relationship with, with a certain girl or, or a guy, if you guys don't talk throughout the day ever, and you don't spend time sitting down doing something together, it's not going to go well long term. Daily devotion, true devotion to God looks like meaningful connection with his body. And God calls the, his believers a, the body of Christ, not a body, the body of Christ which means actually to be connected is to be in Christ. And if we're not connected to a body, we're actually dismembered. We're like solo. So true devotion is being connected to his body. True devotion is faithfulness in every area of life. Faithfulness in your marriage. Faithfulness in your workplace. Faithfulness in stewarding the gifts that God has given you. True devotion to the Lord looks like purity. It looks like purity. We, we all have opinions and, and we need to be super involved in, uh, in what's going on in our country at this time. We have to care and we have to bring that before the Lord and we need to pray and we need to vote and we need to do all those things. But actually uh, being, being pure before the Lord is actually not conforming to the patterns of this world, which means that actually I love people over my political stance. And so even though I may feel a certain way, I'm going to pursue God and the kingdom and his representation in my life above my political party. And so this doesn't become something that, that, actually, that actually is anti-gospel. The last way I would say like true devotion looks like pursuing holiness. And some of you may go, what are you talking about pursuing holiness? You just tore down these Pharisees because of their performance and their works. But in order to understand pursuing holiness, we have to understand what God did for us. So the incomparable Jesus, the whole thing that we're talking about this morning, we want to talk about Jesus. The incomparable Jesus did what religion could not do, and he made us righteous. You may be sitting there going, I don't feel righteous. That might not be me. If you were with me, yes, if you were with me yesterday or this week, like, like righteous, how does that happen? Well, he's done it. If you've put your faith in Jesus, he has made you righteous in salvation. How did he do that? He, he looked at you and he took compassion on you. Just like in the text, when we see Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he says, man, you're loading these people down and they can't do it. 
As soon as, Adam, as soon as Adam sinned, Jesus said, man, I'm gonna have to do something about this. They are not gonna be able to get themselves out of this. I wanna help my kids. So he took compassion. He came from heaven to earth and he died for us. He's resurrected and as we put our faith in him, we are saved. So he's made us righteous through salvation. He has made us righteous in sanctification, which is once we've given our life to Christ, once you said, you're my Lord, I wanna follow you. He actually begins by his spirit to do a work inside of us to make us not like what the Pharisees were trying to do and make the outside look good, but actually to cleanse the inside also first. And so one of the ways I try to think about this, an example that illustrates this so perfectly for me is we love plants. We love gardens. uh, We love uh, plants and flowers and stuff at our house. We kill a lot of them too, but I find myself in the backyard like watering them, right? And as soon as, you know, sometimes I put too much and what happens? Like the soil begins to kind of run over the outside of the dish. And a lot of times we look at that and we go, oh, hypocrite, right? We go, look at what's happening like in that Christian's life. And actually we don't, we miss the fact that, that God is working out righteousness in somebody. So actually it's like Jesus comes and shoots a garden hose in there. And then we find out, oh man, somebody confessed to having this addiction and they're now seeking help. And we go, they're a hypocrite. No, actually God is sanctifying that person. He's moving them towards righteousness. And so that's what, that's what God wants to do in and out of our hearts. Jesus has made us righteous in justification. So he, 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 he gets on the Pharisee because he goes, man, you guys tithe, but you neglect justice and love. These are two big things. It's the very thing that he came to do, to bring justice. We, we sin, there's a debt that needs to be paid, and he comes and he pays it. He, brings, he serves justice, but he did it. Why? He did it from love and for, and, and to show God's love to us. So we are, we are made righteous through justification. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, we actually just get to walk in righteousness. It's not something that we have to like run towards with all these steps. We actually just run towards Jesus. We run towards Jesus. That's what we pursue. Because he's made us righteous, we do not have, uh, excuse me, because he's made us righteous, we don't have to earn because he's already paid. Because he has made us righteous, we are free from guilt and shame. So anything that you're carrying this morning, Karen shared that word about comfort, where you go, man, this, is, this may have been some stuff from the past, and I know the Lord's forgiven me, but actually I can't let, lay it down. Like, we're free from that because God has already counted you as righteous. When God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus because you put your faith in him. Because he has made us righteous, we are free from proving ourselves because he proved our worth on the cross. All right. So Jesus is helping us in this journey of true devotion because he made us righteous. He actually made, it's like he fronted us. He put like a, a, thousand, a million dollars like in our, in our account of righteousness, right? Like it's endless, right? He did that up front. The second thing that he did for us is the incomparable Jesus did what religion could not do, right? He helps us in our devotion by drawing near to us. Jesus helps us in our devotion by drawing near to us. So how? How do we see that in the text? He sits and he eats with Pharisees, and he sits and he eats with sinners. Jesus actually draws near. How many of us know that Jesus came to seek and to save that that was lost? Right? So Jesus comes and he draws near to us, and that's how he helps us. He goes, you want to follow me? Let me help you out. I'm going to come near to you. We have to be so encouraged by that this morning, church, that Jesus wants to sit and he wants to eat with us. I was talking with, uh, with some folks and we we're talking about this text and we're laughing going, man, it actually would be easier to go and sit down with a sinner and have a meal because we know they need Jesus and we want to show them the love of Christ. It's easier to do that, right? 
But it's harder with this Pharisee, somebody who knows the law, should be doing it, is manipulating it, maybe twisting it, and you're like, ugh. And so we become a little Pharisaical in our heart towards them. But Jesus didn't do that. He came and he sat at the man's house. You may be thinking, why would Jesus eat with me? Because he wants you. He desires relationship with you. You may feel this morning that, man, I just can't feel Jesus in this season. I just feel like he's not drawing near to me. I'm trying to draw near to him, and there's some issues. And I just want to say, like, I think kind of part of the way this works is like, a, like magnets. I, as, as a kid, I would always take two magnets, right? I probably do this still now. Uh, you take two magnets, and, and like, I would, you know, you'd inch it over, and you're worried about, like, where is that, like, magnetic field where when you push it, it's going to go like this, right? Well, I think this aspect of actually pursuing Jesus is we take steps towards him and he does the rest. Like he, he comes in like a flood by his spirit. And so if you feel like, man, I just can't find him, it may be the opposite where it's like a confused magnet situation where what happens when you push it over? The other one skips, goes further away. Jesus is drawing near to you and you're going further away. So this morning, if the spirit is speaking something to you, we, we want to go, oh, I'm not going to ignore that, God. I'm not going to ignore that. Church, we got to remember that uh, we often feel um, like we have it all together. We feel like we have to have it all together a lot of times to come to Jesus. And we need to know it is okay not to be okay. He came for you in your situation. You don't need to prepare everything so that he, or anything that he, would, that he would come and want to change you and work in your life. We actually just come to him and he, he helps and begins that work in our life. So what does true devotion look like? I want to show, I want to share a, a story from the scripture that I think will paint a picture of this. If you guys remember in one of the gospels, it talks about a woman uh, who they label as a sinner. So we, most likely she was a prostitute. And she comes in the middle. Jesus is having a meal, hanging out with the Pharisees, right? He would always be seen with sinners and he'd be seen with the Pharisees. He's sitting down having a meal with them. And this woman comes in and she just begins to pour tears on his feet. She just is like weeping. So many tears that she can actually grab her hair and just begin to wash his feet. And so she is worshiping Jesus from this place of just absolute brokenness, knowing who she is and knowing who he is. And that's all she had to know. I know who you are and I know who I am. And she just worships and begins to, just begins to clean his feet. And the Pharisees say, man, if Jesus was a prophet, he would have known this lady is a sinner. He would know who's touching his feet. But actually it says so much more about him that he did know. And he received that worship freely. Church, we have to know that Jesus is fighting for you. He has made you righteous freeing you from performance and from guilt. If you feel this morning that, ah, I just have to work, I have to work, I have to just keep trying, it's so hard. Or I have this thing, that I, this huge backpack of sin that I'm still trying to carry around. We've got to bring that before the Lord. He has freed you from that. And he wants to help you walk in freedom. Jesus is fighting for you in that he's drawing you near to himself. This morning. Anything, any part of this message that you just feel like, oh, like that, like that hit me, that's God's Holy Spirit speaking to you. And we want to be a people that receive that. Jesus is fighting for you and he desires your full devotion. That's the thing with Jesus. When we understand how amazing he is, we want nothing else. 
And that is, that is something that we continually bring before God and say, change my desires, change my heart, change my life. May it be patterned after yours. So my question is, where are you this morning? How do you feel that Jesus is calling you to respond? If you have faith in Jesus, how is he calling you to deeper devotion this morning? If you've not put your faith in Jesus, there is a standing invite that he's, he's, he's making this morning, that he wants you to receive him. He wants to come and he wants to free you from the burdens of your sin. He wants to come in and he wants to eat with you. He wants to make you righteous. He wants to give you joy and peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you, God, that you did what what we in our own work could never do. Lord, this morning we want to receive what you are saying to us by your Spirit. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that though there are areas in our life that you want to continue to transform, that we would look more like you. God, that you are so patient, you are so kind, and you are so generous to give us what we need. Lord, I thank you that you are pursuing people right now. And I just want to, I just want to lead us in a prayer for those that have not put their faith in Jesus, who say, man, actually, I, I profess to believe in something, but actually my life doesn't reflect it whatsoever. This is actually more of a piece of my life. It's a part of what I do, um, but it's actually not the main thing. Jesus and, and my relationship with God is not the main thing for me. I want to invite you to make Jesus the main thing. So if that's you, just say this prayer in your heart. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. I thank you for your unending love. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning and that you have forgiven me of my sins. Lord, I want to repent of my way of not following you and following my own path. Would you come into my life and would you change me? Make me more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.